glad that I can identify with that song, that it's different now. Amen. Now, as I was sitting up here on the pulpit, or up here on the podium, I wasn't sitting on the pulpit yet, I may before it's over with, but as I looked out across this platform and look over this audience, by the look so many of your faces, it didn't look like it's been any different. I mean, it, you, you know, it's different now that we've been saved and born again, and if you know the Lord, it ought to be different. And uh, we're praying that even this meeting will help us to be different when we leave here. God will do something for us. And uh, I told Brother Smith a while ago, you might have seen me speak to him. Uh, I was sitting back there and I felt like the Lord maybe would have us to sing. Not me, but have the church to sing that song. Draw me nearer, draw me nearer. And I wrote it down the front of my Bible there on a little piece of paper. And uh, he had already picked that one out to sing it this morning. And I believe that's what we need for God to draw us nearer. I'm going to ask you a personal question. I want you to look straight at me. Look right in my eyes. Do you really want to be drawn near to the Lord these days? Do you really? I want you, if, I mean, if you mean it, don't, don't lie about it. Do you want to be drawn near to the Lord? If you do, raise your hand. If you really want to be drawn near to the Lord, all right, then we'll have to respond to him, won't we? And we'll have to uh, move up. And uh, we're going to have to move if we want to be drawn near to him. And uh, so I pray that'll be our attitude now. If, you, if you've come in with an attitude, well, preacher, I've arrived, and I, I know about everything there is to know. And I'm as close as I can be, then we're, we're just going to be set aside. We'll be in a state of complacency and at easement. But we need for God to stir our nest and challenge us a little bit. All right, here we go now. Are you ready? Song of Solomon, chapter number 2. I want to read from verse number 8 and read a few verses here and with the help of the Lord try to preach. I asked him to bring me some water where the brother asked me if I needed some. I never have needed any until now and they've got me on some medication that uh, it's drying me out. It drives me, my mouth out and I was preaching over in High Point, North Carolina two weeks ago and uh, they, I said I need a little water and they brought me a big old glass. I mean it's about this high. And I said, I'm going to preach till the water runs out. And I preached an hour and a half that morning. And in a Sunday morning service, you know, Baptists, I mean, that's taboo. That's the unpardonable sin. And we had some get up at 12 o'clock. The pastor told me later, he said, Preacher, that had got up at 12 o'clock if Jesus was preaching. Made no difference. They're going to get up at 12 to go down to the place to eat to get to first place there. And, you know, they didn't want to be drawn nearer. And I preached till the water ran out. And that night, I said, uh, I appreciate the water you brought me this morning. I said, uh, I'll, I appreciate that, and I'll preach every night till the water runs out. Monday night, they brought me a, they brought me a little communion cup. And uh, they brought me a communion cup and had it stuck up under there. And the pastor got up, and he was making a joke out of that. He drunk that himself. He said, I'm going to take this myself. And he drunk it, and they had another big glass of water. So we'll preach. I, who was it? Was it Whitfield or was it Wesley? That preached till the candle went out. Whitfield, Mr. George Whitfield. They asked him to preach again, and he was on the terrace like the little balcony, and he said, I'll preach till the candle goes out. And he lit that candle and set it there, and he preached till the candle went out and went inside and died and went home to be with the Lord. So uh, I just wonder, could we stand a little of that kind of preaching? That the man of God would stand and preach till the candle went out? Uh, how much revival do we really want, you know? This makes people nervous. Uh, but here we go now, the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8. I appreciate Brother Reno's message this morning. 
If you didn't get here for that, you ought to ask that they got it on tape. And a tremendous message, tremendous, uh, I mean, just uh, opening up things to us that we can use and help us in our Christian life. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse number 8. The Bible said, The voice of my beloved. Behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains and skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. And the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Now, that's reading down through verse number, what, verse number 14, from verse 8 down through verse 14. And I want to use this this morning with the help of the Lord as a springboard for the message. And I want to try to preach this morning on the a revival of romance. A revival of romance that we need afresh and anew kindled in our hearts. Now, I don't want to get into a long exposition and a doctrinal treatise of the book of the Song of Solomon. It's a mystical book to say the least. It's given a lot of Bible students uh, a lot to study and a lot of different men view it in different ways. But the Song of Solomon to me is an exquisite love song. And you realize if you know your Bible well enough, you remember in 1 Kings chapter 4 verse 32, the Bible said that Solomon, he spake 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Now, we don't have all of Solomon's Proverbs. We don't have them all. God didn't see fit to put them all in the canyon of the Scriptures. We don't have all of his Proverbs. And we don't have all of his songs. For he wrote a thousand and five, and the only song that we have is the Song of Solomon, the song that seemingly excelled all the other songs that he wrote. And this is the one God saw fit to put in the Scripture and canonize it in the Word of God. And as you look at this song, it's interesting to me, you will not find the name of God mentioned in this book. There's, what, eight chapters to the Song of Solomon, and you do not find God mentioned in the book. But you find, you find pictures of the Lord. It's such a picturesque book that you can see many types and allegories that we'll try to look at this morning with the help of the Lord. Now, they tell us that history gives us that this was read every year at the Feast of Passover. The Jews would read this, these eight chapters, which it wasn't in chapter division then, but they would read the Song of Solomon during the Feast of the Passover. And there's many, many ways that you can look at the Song of Solomon. Number one, I believe you can look at this book literally. Literally, as it portrays the message of Solomon's love for this young lady who we find was a keeper of the vineyard. And she said, my own vineyard have I neglected. I've been a keeper of other people's vineyard. And you remember that in chapter number one. 
And I believe she was working out there as a shepherdess. And she was taking care of a flock. And Solomon fell in love with this young lady. Now, there's various and sundry opinions about this. Some believe that Solomon and the shepherd boy that's pictured in this Song of Solomon was the same man. And uh, some believe that there's three different aspects to this. I'm not going to get into a long discourse on that. But I believe we can look at this literally, that Solomon had a love for this young lady. Then there's a practical aspect to the Song of Solomon. I believe it will help every marital relationship. If you'll read it in that mind and, and with a holy mind, it will help the marital relationship between husband and wife. Needless to say, there's a lot of intimate things and, and personal things that are described in the Song of Solomon. I was reading behind Dr. Ironside, and Harry A. Ironside said that the, the Jewish custom was they would not let a young man read this book until he was 30 years of age, lest he misinterpret some of the uh, personal things that were said here. Well, there's a practical aspect. There's a literal story that's given to us. But then dispensationally, dispensationally, I believe we can look at this and see an illustration of God's love for the nation of Israel that's portrayed in the Song of Solomon. But fourthly this morning, I want us to look at it in an allegorical way, in a spiritual comparison of Christ's love for His church as displayed through Solomon's love for this young woman that we'll call the bride, and we'll call him the bridegroom. Now, if you came back to chapter number 1, you'll read in verse number 1, the Bible said, The song of songs, which is Solomon's. Then she begins to speak in verse 2. She said, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She said, For thy love is better than wine. Have you asked the Lord lately to kiss you with the kisses of his mouth? Have you ever had the Lord in personal communion with him to kiss you and to caress you and, and, and to, as it were to make love to your soul in that holy time of intimacy? I mean, she's saying here, uh, the kisses of Solomon uh, are better than wine. If you've ever known uh, a real intimate time with the Holy Ghost, uh, I tell you, you'd have to say, preacher, uh, it's better than any wine. Uh, it's better than any drug. Uh, it's better than any liquor that I ever had before I got saved. Uh, preacher, there's nothing, uh, nothing that compares uh, with the real intimate time in the person and power of the Holy Ghost. Now, do you, have you ever been there? Have you ever had him to kiss you with the kisses of his mouth? Have you ever had him to caress you and, and make spiritual advances towards you and, and drew you into his banqueting house? And, and brother, there was love that's beyond all human description. Now, I, I'm talking about the inner recesses of your soul. I'm talking about knowing the Lord in a personal, personal way. I believe a lot of people, they know the Lord in communion. But they don't know the Lord, excuse me, they, they know the Lord in, in a connection. They, they know the Lord as it were in union, in union. 
but they don't know the Lord much in communion. We've lost that intimacy. Now, we're, we're, we're in a union with him if you're saved by the grace of God, that you're born again, and you're sealed into the day of redemption. But I want to ask you personally, how much communion is going on in the inner recesses of your soul with the lover of your soul, which should be the Lord Jesus Christ? We've got union, but not a lot of communion. Now, I want us to look at this allegorically this morning. We're looking here at this passage, and I'll get to it in just a minute with the help of the Lord. Now, as I mentioned there, there's union in the believer's life, but a lot of times there's not a lot of communion. And I believe Paul was uh, showing us some of this in the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. Now, you needn't turn, and most of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, when the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Then he goes down through there and he tells us different things about the marital relationship between husband and wives. How that wives are to submit themselves unto their husbands as unto the Lord. Right on down through there. And then Paul also says in that passage, he said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, I believe we've, we miss uh, appropriated that scripture sometime, and the only way we look at it uh, as in the marital context of husband and wife. But that's not all Paul was trying to teach us. Uh, he said, I speak a great mystery uh, concerning Christ and the church. Now, listen to me now. I don't want to go down a vulgar trail. I'm not trying to take your mind down a vulgar nor a distasteful trail. But listen, there's a lot of marriages where there's union and they've got a marriage certificate that said they were married, but there's not a lot of communion within that marriage. You can have a union and be married and be husband and wife, but there's not a lot of communion in that marriage. And the same thing is true with the believer and Christ. You can be born again and be saved, friend, and neglect the communion part of getting with the Lord and knowing Him and fellowshipping with Him. Now, We've looked here, and you've heard the church describe these little three terms that I'll use. You've heard it over and over and over. Oftentimes, the, the body of the Lord Jesus is called just that, His church. It's called His body, the body of the Lord. This speaks of a living union, a living union with the Lord which cannot decompose. I'm glad that I belong to a body other than this body. This body is decomposing on me. This thing's falling apart. The grinders are ceasing. And now they got plastic ones in here. And listen, the eyes have gone dim. And now I've got to wear these plastic things to see you and to see down here. And the keepers of this house are trembling. I'm glad that I'm not going to be confined to this body forever. It's going to decompose. But when I got saved and got born again, I'm glad the Spirit of God put me into the body of Christ. That'll never, never decompose. But then there's the body, a living union with the Lord. 
but we're also called the building. The building, which speaks of the lasting union with the Lord, that'll never, never be destroyed. Hallelujah. I'm part of a building, friend, not made with hands. And it's fitly framed together around the chief cornerstone, and that's none other than the Lord Jesus. And then you'll find that we're called the bride. The church is called the bride. And this speaks of a loving union with the Lord that'll never, never have a divorce. Hallelujah. I'm glad that I'm in a, a relationship and I'm in a marriage. I pray that my wife and I will never, never separate. I pray that'll never, never happen. But irregardless of what might happen there, I'm glad this morning that I'm part of a bride that'll never, never know what divorce is all about. Amen, friends. Now, as we look at this, stay with me now. Get over that Shoney's breakfast that you ate and, and get over them grits and biscuits and sausage and ham and, and some of you are yawning. You stayed up late last night to watch the last in the trail in a gun smoke and gravy train or something. And, and now you can't hardly stay Wake up, slap your little self and, and, and be alert. Be alert now and listen. Stay with me. Now, as we look at this, the Song of Solomon is a book of love. I mean, love is on every page. I mean, details about the love relationship here. Now, if that's so, if that's so, what about our relationship with the Lord? When Paul mentioned that, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. All right? In a normal, healthy, uh, listen, a normal, healthy marriage, in a normal, healthy marriage, there's love. And there's intimate times. And there's caresses. And there's kisses. I mean, some of you look like you ain't had one in about 50 years. But in a normal, healthy relationship, there's kisses in a marriage. And there's intimacy. And there's the affection that's shown. Now, that day, look, look up here. You see more than that in the funny papers. Don't look like I'm being disreverent and stuff like that. It's so in a healthy marriage. It ought to be so. Amen. If you're not having it, then you may not be as healthy as you think you are. Hey, I'm telling you, there's that, there's that uh, honeymoon time. And there's that sweetheart time. And, and it does not have to die. It does not have to end. Amen. And the older you grow in a marriage relationship, you love your wife for different reasons than you loved her when you first met her. You begin to love her for her faithfulness. You begin to love her for things that you never did see in her when you first married her and the same with the wife toward the husband. It ought to be that way. Now, the physical relationship may not be able to function like it did when you were younger, but that, uh, I mean, closeness and, and that uh, intimacy that's beyond that, friend, ought to grow stronger the older that you get. Now, I'm just trying to be as plain and yet not try to go down any vulgar trail. Surely you can handle this this morning. Now, all right, let's look at this thing about Christ and the church. If it's normal in a healthy marriage for a husband and wife to kiss and hold hands and, and to have those kind of things, how about between Christ and his church? What about his love toward us and our love toward him? Now, let's see if we can bring it down a little closer. Let's say that 
uh, the wife. Been married 10, 15 years. And some of you ain't got there yet. Some of you been a lot further than that. But been married 10 or 15 years now. And uh, she gets during the day, you know, the dad's at work and, and he's out there on the workforce and she's sitting at home and, and she's dusting and changing things around as women are prone to do and, and move the bed, change the wallpaper, change the paint. I say, Barb, it's just fine, but she wants to change it, you know, and, and make it look different, move the beds. I don't know which way to jump sometimes. I mean, used to fall into bed one place, I'm liable to fall in the floor. Women are prone to do that. Say amen, men. They like to move things around and change things. Say amen brother Ray. I know what's been going on. Y'all got to do things going up. Balances and things. But now listen. I mean she's dusting and she's cleaning, spring cleaning and, and she gets in there in that closet and she finds the wedding pictures. She finds that book that holds so many precious memories, more so to a woman that, than it does a man. I mean I look at them things and think man I've gained a lot of weight and, and I, got, I got brown things under my eyes and, and, and I got wrinkles in me but the woman looks at that in a different aspect. She goes back and she reminisces about, now she's there all alone reminds you. She's that kid's at school and, and she's there and, and she looks at that and boy her mind goes back to that to that marriage and to the honeymoon and, and it just does something for a woman. Alright? During that day you know what she does? Look at me. I mean she gets excited. She gets to reminiscing about that and boy I mean she gets uh she gets, uh, oh, she gets that, I, I mean, that, uh, that all over unexplainable feeling uh, and she wants to spruce up and she fixes her hair and uh, she, she does a little paint and body work uh, and, you know, she's looking a little good that afternoon, got on the best little dress she's got uh, and she's got a little Chanel number no. five uh, or eternity, that's the only scriptural cologne I found is eternity uh, and or something like that, you know, uh, and, uh, man, I, I mean, she's got that fixed his favorite meal. I mean, meatloaf and, and mashed taters and pinto beans and, and cathead biscuits. And, amen, friend. And got that apple pie and some ice cream on the side. And, and see, she's got romance on her mind. And she's thought about the honeymoon all day. And, and she's even got a candle here and a candle there. And the lights are turned down low. And, and she's trying to set the atmosphere. And, and in comes Dad. He's coming home from work and he opens the door and it's dark and he looks around throws his lunch pail down and she comes up to give him a kiss on the cheek and he looks at her said woman is that all you got to do all day long sit around and primp what's the matter with you and under God woman why have you got candles on the table did we forget to pay the light bill this month and instead of a kiss he walks right by and grabs a newspaper you know what that's going to do to her? Do I need to explain to you? Do I need to get in Greek and Hebrew so you can understand it? I won't say this much. That romance is off. And I tell you, he won't get any kisses. He may be sleeping on the couch. Well, it looks like half of you slept last night. Hey, you hear me? The romance is over. Look up here. The romance is over. I mean, boy, that irritated her. That aggravated her. Oh, I can see that look in some of these women's eyes. They know what I'm talking about. And then what if dad somehow, now this ain't often for daddy, but what if daddy got to thinking, and he got to thinking about the courtship, and he got to thinking about, you know, the honeymoon, and, and Lord, how mercy. He stopped on the way and washed his hands and washed his face, and, and, and he got a couple of cut roses, 
and he come in with two cards, one serious and one humorous, and, and he comes in with them. You know what most women would do probably? They'd call the pastor and say, Preacher, get over here. He's drunk. He's gone to drinking again. He's high on dough. Oh, Lord, Preacher, something's wrong. And you know, and if a man does, you know, I'm not saying it's this way every time, but now get the illustration. Dad comes home and he's even stopped and got him some 007 high karate and McMinnons, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Old Spice, can y'all get there? Y'all know where I'm at now, don't you? Old Spice. And, and get a little of that on him, you know, and he comes in and she looks at him and says, what's wrong with you? Well, what's the matter with you? What's these? Somebody died? Who's died? What are you doing with these cards? And, and, and you know, man, you know what's going to happen to Dad? I, I mean, the fire will be quenched and the desire for romance and, and intimacy and, and kisses and embraces will be all over. Now, you can understand that, and I know for some of you, you think that's awful plain, but you don't think it on television, and you don't think it in your books you read, so don't look at me like that. Amen. Now, what about the Lord Jesus Christ? What about the heavenly bridegroom, friend, that as he makes moves toward us, and he wants to caress us, and kiss us, and draw us near to him. But you know what we do? Listen to me. We've got over that first love relationship, and now we're preoccupied. We're too busy. Everywhere I go, it's the same old story. Different faces, but the same old story. Well, preacher, we got T-ball and we got Little League and I coach this and we got this and PTA and everything else and most everybody's too busy to have any real intimate time with the Lord. You know it so and I know it so. It's not the days we're living in. It's not the sodomites and the homosexuals. It's not White House. It's not all of that. You know what our problem is? Our problem is within our hearts. It's us. We just don't want to spend that time. Now we're thankful for the union of salvation. But we're not much interested now in paying the price for communion. Yeah, you boy, just all of us. I'm saying us. We didn't mind it when we was a dating. Son, I mean, fix up. Have that, listen, that coat right, everything right. Get out and, you know, go to meet her daddy. Sit there and they'd say, she knows you's a coming, but she ain't ready. You didn't throw a fit and scream and jump up and down. You sat there very patiently and said, it's all right. I'll wait on her. It's all right. I'll wait. And, and you'd have waited and waited and waited. You was in first love. But honey, I tell you, it's different now, ain't it? Son, if she ain't ready when you're ready, honk, 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 and, and beep, beep under the good Lord, what are you doing, woman? And, and there sits daddy in the car, and she comes out with three young'uns. And, I mean, one in her arms, two on her dress tail, carrying a diaper bag. And, and that, you ain't got there yet, Brother Steve. You may be there one day. And, and you know what? Listen to me. Listen. And that first love has died down. Say amen, women. Yeah, and you know whose fault it is? We got a union. We're married. We're married. But there's not a lot of communion. Quality time. Now, do you reckon the Lord wants to revive us? Do you reckon, answer, talk to me. Do you reckon, the, forget about this radio stuff. Do you reckon the Lord wants to revive us? Do you think God wants to move on us? 
Do you think God's sitting up in heaven that he's saying, I ain't going to do it. I'm not going to move on my church. I'm not going to bless my church. Well, listen, he, he, the Lord loves his bride. The Lord desires to move on us. And the Lord's been trying to move on us. But we're so preoccupied with all these little trivial things that he can't get our attention no more. Now, if you want to really get technical right here, we can get there. You know what? And I got to thinking about this other night coming home from meeting, and I'm not throwing this as a rule of thumb. Some women have to have operations to keep them from having any more children because of their age, because of physical complexes. I understand that. Are you listening to me? I understand that. But you know what a lot, listen to me, you know what a lot of people today, they want the pleasure of intimacy in a marriage, but they don't want the responsibility that comes with it in raising children. And you know where the church has got to in a sense? We want the intimacy with the Lord. We want him to move on us and breathe on us and stir us. But we don't want the responsibility of having to raise some children that will get saved and born again. That's it. You know what? We've had our tubes tied, if you can handle this, our prayer tubes We've had, are you listening to me? We've had our fellowship tubes tied, our prayer tubes tied, and we want, a, we want a union, but we don't want much communion. And if we do desire some communion, we don't want the responsibility that comes with it. I believe that's where we're at. That's what the Lord's showing me about some things. Amen. Yes, sir. You say, I don't like that. Think about it. How's your prayer life? How's your quality time with the Lord? How's your fellowship with the Lord? Have you tied your tubes for ball game? Have you tied your tubes for your garden? Have you tied your tubes for this and that? You understand what I'm saying? Can you get this? It's down on the bottom shelf, and it may be too low for some of us. But do you understand what I'm saying? We don't want the responsibility that comes with it. That's right. Oh, friend, if you think, if you think the Lord's going to come down and give you a thrill and sweep over your soul and just breathe on you and, and give you that uh, so-called Christian rush that a lot of us are looking for, that, uh, if you will, that little spiritual fix on a Sunday morning and, and, and just leave you like that, and not anything happened, you're sadly mistaken. It don't work like that. Now, let's see if we can get anything out of this now. Let's see if we can dig in here. It seems to indicate here in chapter number two, you understand the Song of Solomon is not a sequence of events. And things change in this, this, this book. Thing, the scenes change in things. And the communication dialogue changes at times. But it seems like here in verse number 8 of chapter 2, there, there's, Schofield says here, and I kind of like what he said, a lapse, he said, of restoration. In other words, it's like, it's like the, the, the bridegroom, if you will, or Solomon, however you want to look at it, he's up there in the mountains. He's taking care of business up there and doing things. And she's down at the house. She's down at the house and she's behind a wall, the Bible said. And she's down there. And could it be 
that uh, maybe she's lapsed back out in the world a little bit. Now, maybe she's gone back down to mother's house where she was conceived. You understand where we were conceived, don't you, in the world? We were conceived in the world. You understand what I'm saying? And, and maybe she's kind of gone back down to mother's house and she's behind that wall and <clears throat> she's kind of in a lackadaisical mood. Uh, she's complacent. She's kind of cold. And, and, and he's up yonder doing business and taking care of things. And, and then all of a sudden, I mean, he comes down out of those mountains. He comes down to her and there's some things that happen here. Now, if you'll notice with me, it's like she's lost the consciousness of his abiding presence. She's down there, and if I understand this passage right, it's raining. It's been a rainy season. They tell us in Palestine it's the winter time, and it's rainy, dreary, foggy. You know how it is an old rainy day like that. Man, everything's gloomy, and everything's kind of dark and drab and, and, and despairing. Well, that's where she's at. And she's looking out the window there and just raining forked lightning in the fog maybe. And, and she's down yonder away from her beloved. Now, if you'll notice with me in these verses, we'll try to pick it up and we'll be through here in a minute. You'll notice with me the attitude of the bridegroom or the attitude of the reviver. And here we see his lordship. Are you listening to me? His lordship. And Brother Ray, Pastor Bearden quoted those verses a while ago, and he quoted them correctly. Habakkuk said in chapter 3, verse 2, O Lord, I have heard thy voice. He said, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. And in the midst of wrath, make known in the midst of in the midst of a, a trouble, he said that in the midst of the year, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk said, he said there, O Lord, O Lord. Now, revival is from the Lord. God is sovereign about revival, and there's no other way to explain it. God moves in his own sovereign time. But I believe through prayer and travail we can touch the heart of God for a personal revival. Whether this planet ever has a worldwide revival, whether this community ever has a community revival, I believe you and I can have a personal revival and have victory in our soul and a daily walk in communion with Him. Amen. I don't care how bad it gets on the outside. I don't care what all's going on, friend. I believe you and I can have a personal walk of victory. Amen. I don't have to wait for the church to get up. I don't have to wait for my family to get up and get revived. I can get with the Lord, and if I'll stay there and say, draw me near, Lord, and kiss me with the kisses of thy mouth, and Lord, help me, well, I believe he'll revive me. Don't you believe that? Do you have to wait on your wife to get revived for you can have one? Do you have to wait on your church to get revived for you can have a personal revival? Huh? I mean, for the first time in a long time, I woke up this morning and, and guess what was ringing through my mind? Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story. Victory in Jesus. I can't sing a lick. I went through the house of humming that. Amen. I mean, just a, a personal in my heart. Things God has helped me recently and, and some things God's done in my own life. And I'm trying to tell you, friend, you don't have to wait on everybody else. You'll never have a personal revival if you wait on everybody else. Never. 
he's a God of the church collectively. But he's a God of the, the individual believers, friend. He's a God individually to us. Now, here he is, the attitude of the reviver, his lordship. What you, I'm going to say, preacher, what are you trying to get us to see? Notice how he comes down out of them mountains. The Bible said here, the voice, she said, the voice of my beloved. <laughs> I don't know what he was a whistling as he come down off them mountains. You said the Bible didn't say he was whistling. It didn't say what neither. Amen. I don't know. She knew it was him. I mean, before he seemingly ever spoke here, she knew it was him. Maybe he was coming down out of them mountains. He was whistling victory in Jesus. Or he was whistling amazing grace. Or draw me near, draw me nearer. I don't know, but she said, she cocked her head. She began to look around. And she said, I know that voice. That's the voice of my bridegroom. That's him. I know him. I know him. But he's coming down out of them hills. He's coming down there where she's at. And you know the way he comes? I like this. Behold, he, verse 8, Behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains and skipping upon the hills. You say, Brother Buster, there's some mountains in my life. I don't see no way over them, under them, around them. Preacher, there's some hills and mountains and difficult places. I'm going to tell you what he can do, friend. He can abound over every mountain, every adversary verse situation at every difficult place that he can abound over that and be at your heart's door just like that just like that amen friend brother I tell you how he came he come out of there notice how he comes leaping and skipping some of these young people looking at me like well he sounds like Superman no he's more than Superman he's a sovereign monarch I mean he comes as the Lord come down out of them mountains and he's coming down to fellowship and have relation with his bride. With his bride. You see his attitude here, the way he comes. And then why did, why did Solomon, why did this shepherd boy, why did Solomon come down out of them mountains? I tell you why, he had romance on his mind. His heart was beaten with love, friend. And he was coming to see her and to fellowship with her and to see her countenance and hear her voice. I believe the Lord's heart beats with love for his church. I believe the Lord desires and he longs to revive us individually and collectively if we'll all go that far. Sure. Listen to me. I, and, if, and if we'll pay the price, and we know what the price is, we know what we've got to do. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. When we meet those qualifications, friend, for a personal revival, you don't have to twist God's arm. You don't have to pin God's arm like God ain't wanting to give it and, we, and, and we're going to have to force God to give it. God wants to give revival. You know why we're not getting it? We've got his hand held up like this. We're pushing him away. I believe we're, miss, we're missing this. It's like, oh God, you don't want to give it and we've got, to, we've got to pull you down, God. No, friend. The Lord wants to give it. He desires to bless his church. What's wrong with us? We've got his hand pushed away. And words Brother Reno was using this morning about sacrificing. Sacrificing. Well, that cuts the grain in us. Huh? Oh, see. Here he comes now. You see his lordship. I'm going to tell you something. 
far as I can see this, I read it like this. She's in a state of apathy, in, in just, just indifference. She's down at Mama's house. She's behind the wall. Now, she could have been praying. She could have been longing for some fellowship. But I'm going to tell you what happened. He moved toward her. He moved toward her. Okay? Come a little further. Look here at the appearance of the reviver. Or the appearance, the appearance of him. Here you see not only his lordship, but see him leaping. So what are you talking about, preacher? That Bible said that he skipped over them mountains and over them hills. Hallelujah. You may say, preacher, I am under something that I can't see no way out of. Preacher Buster, it's so dark, it's black as a million midnights. Preacher, it's as black as an Egyptian midnight. Now, I'm going to tell you what you do. Listen to me. Don't you pull up. Don't you pull down. Don't you pull the left. Don't you pull the right. You just keep going straight on. You keep going straight on. And sooner or later, he'll bring you out, friend. He'll bring you out. He'll appear to you. He'll make himself not. Just don't do nothing stupid. I've got a friend. And he was they taking some pilot courses. And, and the instructor had him up, made him fly into a storm. Made him fly into a literal storm. And he got up in that storm. That plane was a shaking and a rattling. And he said, instructor, what I do? He said, well, you said you radio the tower. And you asked him what you're supposed to do. Do I ascend? Do I go lower, left or right? And he radioed the tower. And I mean, this boy's sweating now, and, and he's scared to death. And, and he said, Tyre, this is playing so-and-so, and we're in a storm at my location. What do I do? And you know what they answered him? Nothing. Nothing. They never did reply back to him. And man, I mean, he's turned ash and white. His own story, he said, he looked at his instructor and said, we better go left because they ain't going to tell us nothing. And that flight instructor said, when the tower does not answer you back, you keep flying right on the same course. Don't you change nothing. When the tower doesn't answer you back, you stay on the same course. You stay on the same. You understand? You ever had the tower not answer you? You ever had heaven not give you back an answer when you wanted free on it? And you want to pull left, you want to pull right, go up, go down. You've got to just keep flying on the same altitude, same direction. You don't change nothing. Nothing. Now, here he comes. Here we see him leaping, coming down out. Can you see this? I mean, can you see Solomon coming leaping down out of them hills? And son, he's coming down there to see her. And notice, it was a personal appearance. He didn't, said to, he didn't send the head of state. He didn't send a congressman nor a senator. He didn't send no arm of guards. He came himself. I'm glad the Lord wants to purposely appear to us this week. He wants to personally work in our hearts this week as individuals and collectively as a church and churches that are gathered together. There's a purposeful appearance. Hallelujah. Amen. I like it when the Lord speaks in my heart. I like it when the Lord speaks in my heart. And then there's something else there, not only a personal appearance, but it was a purposeful appearance. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? He come to show up, and he come to show out, and he come to show off. Amen. He was coming to reveal himself unto her and say, I'm here. I'm here. And there's something else. It was a partial appearance. And say, so what are you talking about? The Bible said there that she caught a glimpse of him through the lattice. And then what the Bible said in verse number nine, she said, my beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. I want you to look at that. And then she said, my, he, she, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows. 
showing himself through the lattice. Can you get a picture of that? She's on the inside. She's doing them dishes, whatever, cleaning. In fact, all of a sudden, she hears that voice. She knows that voice. And I mean, all of a sudden, she looks at the window, and there he is. And evidently, there was some lattice work, woven work. You understand what lattice is, all of us. And, and man, she, she, he's behind that lattice, and, and she sees him. I mean, she sees him. Have you ever seen him through the lattice work? Have you ever seen him through the lattice of this Bible? Have you ever been reading this Bible and you saw him? You saw him and he spoke to your heart and it began to be real to you. Have you ever saw him through the lattice work of prayer as you was praying? And it, it was more than just a daily prayer time. It, I mean, he came. And he revealed himself through that lattice. And you could see, you know, if you're looking through lattice, all you can get is a partial view. If you're behind the lattice now, see, if you're on the outside of the lattice trying to look in, you can't see much of nothing. But on the inside of the lattice, you can get, if you're close to it, you can get a pretty good view. But if you're way back, you can only get a partial view of something. Huh? How far back are we? What kind of view are we getting of him? If we'll get real close to the lattice, I'm going to tell you what we can see. We can see him bigger than we've ever seen. Get close to the lattice, friend, and you'll be able to see him bigger than you've ever seen him. But then you know what? Here he is, a partial appearance. And some of us have been in some great services, and I believe we've had some real intimate times with the Lord. But you know what? I believe, I believe every one of them was just a partial appearance of him. You, what, can you imagine when the, gla when the glass darkly is done away? Can you imagine, friend, when the lattice work is said and done, and face to face with Christ in all of his glory. I've been thinking more about Job, and we won't launch out into that. <laughs> My little boy said, Daddy, please not Job again. Please not Job. But you know what I got to thinking, Brother Reno, after I've been preaching that time and time again and rereading that book, you know what? Job had a lot of questions he wanted to ask God. He had a lot of questions that he wanted. To... You remember the song we sang, I'd like to sit down and talk it all over with him. But you want me to tell you something? When Job saw the Lord. You know how many questions he asked God? You know how many questions he asked God? He, hey, listen to me. When Job saw the Lord, he didn't make no difference no more. He didn't. You say, preacher, I tell you, I've got some things I won't talk to the Lord about. When you see him, when you see him, it's not going to make any difference no more. Your little problems and my little problems, and they're big problems to us, but they'll fade away into partial appearance, personal appearance. But then there's the appeal of the reviver. Here you see his longing. Notice the way he talked to her. Look at verse number 10. The Bible said, my beloved spake. My beloved spake, she said, and here's what she said he said unto me. And he said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now, if we're looking at this right, and she's down there, and she's away from him, and she's down there complacent and indifferent in a rainy season, dark, dreary, drab, and he shows up. You know what he said? Rise up, my love. Rise. This is his appeal. He appeals to her to rise up, my love, and come away. Come away with me. Now, get this. Here's where most of us are. We want to look through the lattice and see and we want to behold him, and we want that all-overish feeling that we like 
that sensation of the Holy Ghost breaking forth in our souls. And we like the glory and the amens and the hallelujahs. I'm telling you, a lot of people think God's going to show up and reveal himself and leave them where he found them. That's not going to work, friend. He's going to reveal himself and he'll call for response. He's going to say, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away further. Come away further. Come away with me. Come away with me. You see what I'm saying? Most of us have gone as far as we're going to go. We've gone about as far as we're going to go. That's it. We ain't going much further. We ain't going to sacrifice much more. We're not going to do it. We've gone about as far as we're going to go. Now, did you mean that a while ago when you said, draw me near, Lord? Draw me near? You really mean that? Then you're going to have to get out from behind your wall. You know where she is at? She's behind a wall. She's behind the window. She's behind a wall. And that wall could represent a lot of things. You'd be surprised what a lot of people are standing behind this morning. Walls of bitterness. Walls of envy. Walls of jealousy. Walls of wounded spirits. I mean walls. Walls that they've got erected. He shows up and he reveals himself. He talks to us in a loving way. He talked to her. He didn't say, you old low down huzzy, you backslidden heifer, what are you doing down here? He didn't talk to her like that. He said, my love, my fair one. That's how the Lord looks at us. Praise God. I tell you, listen, I'm not perfect and you're not either. And I'm not memonizing that. But I want to say this. Even in our cold state of apathy that we get in sometimes, he'll show up. He'll speak to us in words of love. My love, my fair one, my bride, come away with me. Come away with me. See, here's what his appeal is. Two things. He appeals for an immediate response, no hesitation. No hesitation. He said, my love, I've showed up. I'm outside this window. I'm outside this wall. He did not, and I don't believe he would have, gone behind that wall and drug her out of there. He, she was going to respond to him. Understand? She's going to respond. He's calling for an immediate response. Come away. Rise up. Rise up. First, rise up. That's more than you can get out of most Baptists now. You give an invitation, see how many you can get rise up. See how many are really interested in rising up and coming forward and humbling themselves, swallowing their independent pride and saying, yes, God, I need to get forward. You say, preacher, Seton, you're a little bit rough. This, listen to me. Every week of my life, I'm out here almost and preaching my guts out and giving my life and it's a willful sacrifice and I, it's, it's the least that I can do. But I'm telling you, folks, to see people just, just sit there and sit there like, like they're immune to the Word of God. He said, rise up, girl. Rise up. Rise up. Then he said, not only for an immediate response, rise up, but he asked for an intentional removal. He said, you rise up and cut away. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to have an intentional removal. You're going to have to get up and get out from behind these walls. Get out from behind these walls. 
Get out here with me. I'll take you places. I'll show you things. We'll get down under the apple tree. We'll go down where the feed, where the sheep feed. Hallelujah. I'll take you to my banqueting house. Praise God. That's a lot better than Mama's house. Amen. If you've ever been to his banqueting house and, and seen that banner spread over you that says that I'm his and he's mine, that's a lot better than the world Mama's house. I ain't playing games. Makes no difference with me. You hear me? Look at me. It, I'm not playing games. We're going to have to rise up and we're going to have to remove from where we're at. Let God take the dynamite of the gospel and blow us out of our concrete seats we sit in. There ain't a seat belt on that seat lest it's your self-will. You say, I don't like this, preacher. Well, it's, it's bothering us. Is there a burr under your saddle? I'm like nobody tell me, preacher, that I'm not drawing near. And I don't like nobody tell me that. I know you can, I know, I know you can do it at the house. I know, and you ought to. But you ought not be ashamed when the man of God pours his heart out and the Holy Ghost is, is trying to breathe on you. And he's trying to caress you. And he's trying to draw you to himself, to the Lord. And you know who ought to be the first people to move in revival meeting? You know who ought to be the first people to move? Pastors ought to move first. Number two, deacons ought to move second. Number three, pastors' wives and deacons' wives, Sunday school teachers and trustees and the Bible of the church ought to move. I was preaching another night and I stood them up, friend. I said, I said, you men ought to move. Move. You say, they, I don't feel nothing to move about. Move anyway. Don't move by feelings, move by faith. And say, I need to move, Lord. Just that simple. He said, my love, my fair one. He said, rise up. You know what she could have done? She could have sat there, and I'm getting this as it's coming, some of this. She could have sat there and just kept washing dishes, and she could have sat there and just been doing her Sunday school lesson. She could have sat there and been a good, uh, what we'd call normal Christian, and been satisfied with just a partial glimpse of him, just a partial little glimpse of him. I heard his voice. I saw part of him. But there's more. There's more. There's more. The appeal of the reviver is loving. He said, my bride, my fair one, arise. Have you, have you heard him tell you recently? Have you heard him say, arise? You ever heard him in the night season say, arise? I want to talk to you. I want to meet you at the stairs. I want to meet you at the stairs. That's a means of ascension to come up on this platform, the stairs. He said, I want to meet you at the stairs, prayer. I want to see thy countenance. I want to hear thy voice. Have you heard him lately say, arise? Did you just roll over? Did you just roll over and yawn? What about it? Have you heard him during the daytime? You had a little free time and he said, arise, arise. 
I still believe you can have as much of God as you desire. Or you can have as less of God as you desire. That's right. It ain't the preacher. It's not the pastor. It's not the deacons. It's us. Individually. Well, you've read and I've read about some of them saints in the concentration camps and even some ladies that were there who had a personal walk with God. And I mean, note intimate times in concentration camps. Not a camp meeting. The appeal of the reviver. Here we see his longing. And you believe me, he's longing. If you're saved by the grace of God, if you know him in salvation, He's longing for you to get out from behind those walls and come to him. Then the affection, the affection of the reviver. Here we see is a longing. I'm going to close here. Just a couple more points, but I'm going to stop. I feel like the Lord has us to stop right here. Now, what are we looking for? Are you awake? Are you awake? What are we asking for? What do we really, really want from God in these days? Do we really? I'm serious. I've got it right here. I wrote it down. Three, five, four, fifty-eight. I was wanting Brother Smith to sing, Draw Me Near. The Lord already evidently put it on his heart. Draw me near. You know what that Shulamite girl said? She said, draw me and I will run after thee. She asked a prayer. She said, you draw me as it were. And she said, I will personally run after thee. What are you running after in these days? What are you running after? Draw me. Draw me. Let's bow our heads and through preaching. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Draw me. Would you be willing to pray that this morning around an old-fashioned altar? Would you be willing to swallow some of the pride and get in an old-fashioned altar and say, Lord, please draw me. I mean it, Lord. And by the help of God, I'll follow you, Lord. I want to go further with you. They're playing softly now. We might even sing that song again. That'd probably be adequate. We, we sing that song one more time. And see if we can sing it from our hearts. You say, Preacher Seaton, you've been kind of rough on us. I'm just trying to break up fallow ground. I'm just trying to help us to break up fallow ground. The cares of this life, deceitfulness of riches and things, everything in the world has pulled us away from intimacy with the Lord. Now, I'm not going to put any high pressure. going to sing this song in the invitation and you obey the Lord.
I tell you what, Brother Smith, you sing the first verse for us. Sing that first and for us. <laughs> 